good uh, this evening. I'd like to thank you for the opportunity of being with you today. It's been good to share fellowship over this weekend and um, to rejoice with you in the realities of the faith that we declare that Jesus Christ came into the world and he paid the price for our sin. That price has been accepted. Victory has been bought and uh, we prepare for eternity. So thank you for fellowship and I pray that as we go into a new week and as it were a new year as Christians, we would go confident in the glorious gospel that has been made known to us and available to us through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, those of you who have been with us uh, since Friday will know that I've been looking at brief statements in um, the uh, narrative of the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. On Friday, we looked at that glorious statement, it is finished, it's accomplished. Redemption has been uh, bought and is available for all of God's people that they might know peace with God. This morning, we um, rejoiced in the fact that the angel said, he is not here, for he is risen. Or, as Peter says on the day of Pentecost, but God raised him from the dead. Tonight, I want us to look at a further uh, brief and pithy statement. It's recorded in both Matthew 28 and in uh, Mark 16. I will read what's written in Matthew 28 um, and verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And the uh, brief statement that I want us to consider tonight is, He is going before you. In my first point, I will look at uh, the conclusion of that statement into Galilee. But I want us to see it in a much fuller and significant way. So we have got uh, these very short but very powerful statements. And um, this statement tonight in the original language um, where it says he is going before you instead of having the five words that we have um, in Greek it is only three words. He goes before is one verb and then you have the pronoun you. And the idea of going before is that he is leading the way. He is going before you. He is preparing the path. He has got a purpose. And Jesus is not simply uh, going before his disciples here um, as another event in life. Tomorrow, um, many people will be gathering together as families. They'll go off and have some sort of picnic and um, get together. That isn't what is being emphasized here. What is being emphasized is that Jesus is going before his disciples as a leader. 
He's not saying, you go. But rather he's saying, I'm going. Come, follow me. And in reality, and we will develop this a little bit more fully as I get into my first point. But in reality, Jesus is taking his disciples back to that first experience on the shores of Galilee where Matthew records for us in Matthew 4 um, where Jesus says to his disciples, follow me. The events of Easter have been um, tragic. Probably if the disciples had lived in the 21st century, they would have been lining up for uh, post-traumatic stress um, therapy because um, it was totally traumatic. What they had uh, built themselves up for had been totally smashed. But what Jesus is saying is, don't focus on that. Nothing has changed. My purpose stands. I'm going before you. You are to follow me. Even um, the night of his betrayal, uh, Jesus had said to his disciples in Matthew 26, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. He has already told them, and he said, nothing changes. Friends, in the Christian life, it's easy to fall into traps. It's easy to uh, think, yeah, I've got it all sorted. Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to Galilee. And it would be easy for him to have simply said to them, well, look, I'm going before you. Um, I don't need to repeat anything. Uh, I've already said it. Now, let's get on with it. But no, the message comes afresh. And even before I get into my main headings tonight, I want to um, bring a warning from what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here. There are two dangers in the Christian life. One is to say, I've arrived. There's nothing more for me to learn. And that can happen on a personal level, and I believe it can happen more dangerously on a church level. We have sorted out issues. We um, feel as though we've got it all together. Friends, we are on a journey. We speak about holiness and say that we will never be holy this side of the grave. The Christian journey will never end until the Lord says, Come, welcome home, enter in, my good and faithful servant. We have never arrived until that happens. And therefore, we have got to be constantly changing and being changed by the Lord that his purposes might be worked out in us as individuals, in us as couples, in us as families, in us as uh, churches. So that's the first danger that I want to, to warn about tonight. And the second danger is that response which says, 
I can't keep going. Now, I don't know what your personal circumstances are, but I know that when I started coming to Hailsham, I was in my 20s. And it wasn't a difficult journey from northwest Kent down here. Could do it without any problem. I'm closer to 70 now than I am to 17. And you think, oh, do I have to make that journey again? Do I have to do this again? Do I have to do that again? And we can almost feel as though we cannot keep going. But friends, this is not the end. The Lord says we have here no continuing city or no enduring city, but we seek one to come. And similarly, in that great chapter on the resurrection, which we read this morning in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable or the most to be pitied. Friends, we haven't reached the end of the journey. We're not yet complete. There is completion. The crucifixion does not need to happen again. The burial of the Lord Jesus Christ does not have to happen again. But the resurrection, in effect, continues to the end. We are given new life. And we are given, as it were, new supplies of grace as we continue our journey. We are told, he is going before you. And with that long introduction, I now want to come to my first point tonight. He is going before you to Galilee. And what I want to use as a heading here is that we have a timely reminder. And to develop this point tonight, I want us to return to our reading, to John chapter 21, and to that um, discourse between Jesus and Simon Peter in uh, verses 15 to 17. And Jesus is here reminding Peter in particular but all of his disciples and all of us tonight that um, his purpose has not been changed. You don't need much of an imagination to, well, you don't need any imagination, but you might need a reminder to understand that these events actually took place at the beginning of the ministry. In Luke chapter 5, the disciples had been out fishing. They caught nothing. And uh, Jesus had been teaching. And he said to his disciples, uh, let your nets down. And they said, well, Lord, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. Jesus said, let your nets down. And again, there was a great miracle. And on that occasion... Peter, we are told, fell at the feet of Jesus and said, Depart from me, Lord, because I am a sinful man. 
faced with the power and the authority of the incarnate Son of God, Peter was humbled. And the same thing happens here. Now, this isn't the beginning of a relationship, but it's in the middle of a relationship. And it's not always easy to face the same problem a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth time, is it? But that's what's going on here. I'm sure all of us have made repeated mistakes in our lives. And we've had to go back and we've had to ask, can I be forgiven? Can I expect that of him? Can I expect that of her? Can I expect that of them? And that is how Peter is feeling at this time. In verse 3, he is ready to give up everything. He says, I'm going fishing. He's not just out for a day's sport. He's going back to his old business. He's going back to where he knew he could be successful. But he isn't successful. He fails because he's doing it without Christ. Well, what does Christ do? Does Christ stay in Jerusalem? Does Christ stay where he has demonstrated his victory? No. He comes to Peter. He comes to the disciples. He comes to them where they have failed. And he comes to Peter. And in a way, he reminds him of his unchanging call. And he calls Peter to follow him. But the questions and the answers that he gives here are structured in such a way that Jesus is saying to Peter, look, I've known you for three and a half years. We've built our relationship. I've developed your ministry. I've shown you what I expect of you. And do you still love me? We are told often when this passage is developed that Peter was asked three times whether he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason he was asked that is because he had failed Jesus three times. But Jesus isn't emphasizing that. Jesus is emphasizing the love. Yes, there is that repetition to remind Peter of what he's done. But Jesus is saying, come on, let's go back to Galilee. Let's go back to where it all began. On that occasion, I told you that you were to follow me. On that same occasion, um, in the boat, I promised you that you would become fishers of men. You would go out and you would be used of God to draw people to himself. And nothing has changed. But all the change that has taken place is that Christ has 
entrusted Peter with more responsibility. Not only is there the evangelism of um, being made fishes of men, but there is the pastoral work that Jesus put on Peter's shoulders the night of the denial. Luke records it like this in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And this is the part that I want you to focus on at this point in the message. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Jesus is saying, you will blow it. You will fail. You will not be what you expect of yourself. You'll turn away. But when you are brought back, when you come back to me, because I've not given up on you. And tonight, my brothers and sisters, I don't know what you're struggling with, but if the Lord has saved you, I want you to know that he has not given up on you. And he says, when you are returned, strengthen your brethren. He's been called to preach the gospel, but he's been called to um, care for God's people. Christ specifically charged Peter with this uh, responsibility. He charged him essentially with the leadership of the early church. It was Peter who preached that great sermon on the day of Pentecost. It was Peter who took the message to the Samaritans. It was Peter who took the message to the Gentiles. Yes, Paul became the apostle to the Gentiles, but God was saying to Peter, I've got a work for you, and that work has not changed. Friends, tonight, on this glorious Easter Sunday, let's take time to remind ourselves of the gospel and of our responsibilities. There's a beautiful verse in Romans 2 and verse 4. It says this, Don't you know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Do you feel challenged tonight? Do you feel, I failed? What's going on? Well, if it's Satan, he'll be saying, you've failed, you are rubbish. But if it is God, and in particular, the Holy Spirit who convinces us of sin, he will be saying to you, yes, you have failed, but look at the cross. Look at the one who has died in your place. Look at the one who has come seeking you. Look at the one who is wanting to draw you back because the goodness of God leads you to repentance. So, the Lord went before them to Galilee. But, I want to show you also in John 14 that the Lord has gone before us into heaven. And here I want us to see this as a comforting promise. I'm sure many of us know these verses. They're read regularly at funerals and um, they give us great assurance 
John 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Um, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, uh, this is not strictly Galilee, but this is the night before the Lord is arrested. And I want us to see that having gone to the cross, having gone to the grave, having been raised, having ascended, he has gone before us into heaven. Acts 1 and verse 11 tells us that Jesus was taken up into heaven. And on a weekend like this, it is all too easy to keep looking back at the ministry of Jesus. But tonight, I want us to look up, and I want us to understand the ministry of Jesus on our behalf at this time. Hebrews 7 says that he makes intercession for the transgression, for the transgressors. And tonight, friends, I want to remind you that Jesus is praying for us. He has gone before you, not only into Galilee, but he has ascended and he has gone before you into heaven. And tonight, he is praying for you. And it's not only him. It is the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 tells us, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Friends, Jesus is in heaven tonight. He's praying for us. But he's doing more than that. He's preparing a home for us. Now, I don't know... um, how many of you fill in forms or how many of you travel and you're faced with those migration papers when you're on an aeroplane. And um, ladies are often asked, what is your role? And at one stage, one of the ladies' roles was listed as a housewife. But that isn't the case anymore. It's now described as a homemaker. And in effect... That is what Christ is saying to us here in um, John 14. He is making a home for us. Um, Verse 2, I go to prepare a place for you. He is providing that place. He is preparing it. He uh, uh, He is making it ready. Friends, not only has Christ saved us, but he has provided our long-term accommodation. He is the one who has gone into glory, and he is there preparing a home for us. But he is not only doing that in heaven. He is doing it on earth. He is doing it in us tonight. He is preparing us for eternity. When he wrote to the 
Um, Ephesians, Paul says this, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. Do you understand that, friends? That I don't mean this in in any derogatory way. You and I are bricks. Bricks that are being built into the temple that will be the living temple of our God. Yes, he is preparing something glorious for heaven, but he's working on us now. When the Old Testament temple was built, they were told what the stones should look like, how they should be cut, and how they should be prepared. But none of that happened in the temple precincts. It happened in the quarries. It happened in a distance. Friends, we're not going to get to heaven And God is going to work on us to prepare us, to make us to fit in. No, we are being cut tonight. We are being shaped so that we who are angular, we who are difficult to get on with, might be made stones that are made smooth so that we might fit in to one another. God is preparing us for that glorious residence where We will enjoy his presence forever. And we thank God for that glorious truth that he is giving us this glorious promise that we're not somehow going to pass from death into some sort of um, limbo where... Well, you're not quite ready. You're not quite ready. But no, we will pass into his presence. And he will say, look, I've prepared the thrones. I've prepared the crowns. And I've prepared you so that you will fit in with other people. And friends, he's not only preparing Gordon Road Evangelical Church. He is preparing people from every language, nation, and tongue. Look what Revelation 7 and verse 9 says. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, (coughs) which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, (coughs) standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. (coughs) Excuse me. Friends, he's gone before us into heaven to prepare an eternal home for us. But he remains at work in us, He's changing us. He's changing you. He's changing me. 
but he's drawing people to himself from every language, nation, and tongue. Let us thank God for that. That heaven is going to be a place where we will enjoy him forever. Heaven will be complete. His church will be complete. And the third point tonight is that I want us to see that he is going before us into the new heaven and the new earth. And he gives to us an eternal assurance. Here in John 14 and verse 3, he says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Friends, where is Jesus tonight? Well, his disciples saw him rise from the Mount of Olives, be taken up into a cloud. And as they stood there gazing, wondering what is going on, the angel said, this same Jesus whom you have seen go into heaven will return again and will take you to be with himself. Friends, I don't know if you are aware of it, but it is the personal prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ that we might be with him. John 17, that wonderful high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 24 it says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Did you hear that? I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Where's Jesus tonight? He's in heaven. Where does he want you to be? With him. Death of a loved one is a horrible experience. It is bereavement. It is pain. It is loss. But for the one who is taken from us, it is glorious. Because we will see him face to face and we will tell the story saved by grace. Jesus is praying. He's praying that you'll be kept, but he's praying that you'll soon be home. As many of you know, Lynn and I served for a number of years in Papua New Guinea. My dear mother used to say every time we went back, I don't suppose I'll see you again. This will probably be the last time. Friends, there's going to be a last time for all of us. It may be a separation from the things of earth, but it will be a preparation for the things of eternity. Instead of hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ, we will see him and we will be with him. He's going to come back. We don't hear preaching on the second coming as much now as we used to when I was first converted. But let me remind you of what we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about the return 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. This afternoon we were talking about some of the idiosyncrasies of the way Welsh people speak the English language. Well, as part of my notes, I'd written one of those idiosyncrasies. He's going to come. Seems a contradiction. But he's gone to heaven in order that he might come back. He's gone in order that we might be with him. And we have this glorious assurance that the dead in Christ will rise first. What's he talking about? Well, the body that has been buried in the ground, the body that has been reduced to the dust in the flames, it will be raised afresh. As it was in creation, from the dust man came, the body will be raised. But Jesus will bring the spirits of believers with him. So the raised body and the returned spirit will be reunited and we will be whole people. Don't think of heaven as us all floating around like vague ghosts. No, we will be given a body like his body. We will know one another and we will enjoy his goodness. <laughs> The tragedy of the resurrection was that there was an ascension and the Lord Jesus Christ was taken from his disciples. But listen to what Paul writes here. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Friends, when we leave this earth behind... When God creates the new heaven and the new earth, we will be with him forever. No pain, no sadness, no tears, no death, no separation. Forever with the Lord. We will enjoy an eternity of delight in the presence of our Lord, who has gone before us to prepare a new heaven and a new earth. Friends, on this Easter Sunday evening, rejoice in Easter. Rejoice in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But prepare for eternity and look forward to it, knowing that the best is yet to come. Amen. Let's sing our hymn before we come to the communion table, which takes up that theme of which I've just been speaking. It's the hymn 809. Sorry? 
Sorry. Can, can, can we have, if, I hope it's not too difficult for you, Julie, um, forever with the Lord. We made a right mess here tonight, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> can you cope with that okay? Thanks, Julie. Forever with the Lord. Amen. So let it be. Life from the dead is in that word. Tis immortality.
home in which you will dwell by your grace and by your spirit. We pray tonight, Lord, that as we will go into this week, you would go with us with this assurance. We thank you tonight, Lord, that we come now to the Lord's table and we look back to that time when he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. We thank you for that cup which he took and said, this is the new covenant in my name. We pray, O gracious God, that as we share this bread and as we uh, drink this wine tonight, that we might be made conscious of the fact that even this is temporary. The funeral feast will give way to the wedding feasts. And Lord, we pray, hasten that day for your glory's sake. Amen.